0: Is one another fortune. Admission is free, so be here on Sunday, June eight, five p.m. at the JFK Auditorium, U.S. Center, Boston. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Philip Emaagwalen. The world's fastest computing, that's executed across up to a billion processors, is the end product of the supercomputer technology that then U.S. President Bill Clinton described as the Philip M. Aguale formula for making computers faster. In 1989, I was in the news for discovering that the slowest processors could be used to solve the most difficult problems in science, engineering, and medicine, and used to find their answers at the fastest Speeds. The fastest computer is used to foresee the weather before going outside. During my childhood in Nigeria, of early 1960s post colonial Africa, I read of great minds of mathematics and physics. In early 1970s, I read about Isaac Newton and Albert Einstein. In January 1960, and at age five, I enrolled in St. Patrick's Primary School, Sapele, in the western region of the British West African colony of Nigeria. In 1960, the odd of me becoming the subject of school essays in the US, Canada, and UK was one in a billion. But after 30 years, I was studied with the icons of science such as Isaac Newton and Albert Einstein. Those school essays were recognitions I could not have imagined. In 1960, the word computer wasn't even in the vocabulary of a Nigerian, and the word supercomputer hasn't been coined. I began programming supercomputers on June 20, 1974 at 1800 Southwest Campus Way, Corvallis, Oregon, USA. At that time, there was no computer in Nigeria, and the war, in 1974, the word internet wasn't even in the vocabulary of, of an American computer scientist. My father's nursing career impacted my early uh, development. That was the reason I grew up in Nigerian cities, such as Akure, Sapele, Burutu, Fokados, Uromi, Abo, Ibuzo, and Asaba. As a nurse in the western region of colonial and post-colonial Nigeria, my father was frequently transferred from one general hospital to the other. He worked in each hospital for about two years, and in that short period, I could not learn the local language of our new community, such as the Yoruba language of Akure, the Ishekiri language of Sapele, the Ijo language of Burutu and Fokados, and the Isan language of Yoromi. I lived in Abo for three and a half years, and then understood their Eka language. During the 30-month-long Nigerian Civil War, that ended on January 15, 1970, the Biafran government could not pay salaries, and the refugees were unemployed and could not pay for the medical services they received. By the end of the war, the Biafran army had lost control of 80% of Biafra, and most Biafrans were refugees in Biafra. My father was a volunteer nurse in Biafra refugee camps. Papa was a volunteer nurse at the hospital in Orka Biafra from late September 1967 to January 19, 1968 and at the medical clinic in Oba, Biafra from late January 1968 to March 21, 1968 and at the refugee camps in Oketiti, Biafra, from March 29, 1968, to early July 1969 and was the only medical practitioner in the fishing community of Ndani, Biafra, from mid-July 1969 to January 19, 1970. Like every Nigerian, I spoke the grammatically simplified Nigerian pidgin language which is incomprehensible to an American. Pigeon is used in informal conversations among friends and in markets, and spoken as the second lingua franca across the 250 ethnic groups in Nigeria. I might say to a Nigerian lady, babe, you too fine, oh, this food sweet well, well, you don't do. I'm fluent in my ancestral Igbo language. Igbo is an endangered language that's only spoken in the southeastern region of Nigeria. I use Google to translate any email sent to me in Igbo language. Biko, please speak slowly. I want to dance with you. Before the age of 12, I grew up in non igbo speaking towns in Nigeria, however we spoke Igbo at home. The southern boundary of Nigeria is a coastline that faces the Atlantic Ocean. When I was 3 and 4 years old, we lived in the Nigerian coastal towns of Burutu and Fokados, both in the Niger Delta in southern Nigeria. My family lived in just speaking Focados and did so for the two or three months before and after my fourth birth date, and presumably in the nurses' quarters of the Focados General Hospital that employed my father as its relief duty staff nurse. In 1958, the year we lived in Focados, it was a small coastal fishing community of fewer than a thousand persons in the Niger Delta of southern Nigeria. The Focados General Hospital was built in 1890. It predated the Onitsha General Hosp- Hospital by a decade. Some describe the Focados General Hospital as the first modern hospital in West Africa. Five centuries earlier, Focados was a major Portuguese slave trading port. Millions of Nigerian slaves were taken to the Portuguese colony of Brazil as domestic and plantation workers. For that reason, Brazil is the second most populous black country in the world and second only to Nigeria. The Focado Slave Dungeon was built in 1475. The Focado Slave Wharf is one of the longest in Africa. For four centuries, millions of slaves landed on the Focado's Wharf to begin their long journey to the Americas and across the Atlantic Ocean. The four centuries of non stop slave trading in Fokados is to Nigeria what the atomic bombing of Hiroshima is to Japan and the Auschwitz concentration camp is to the Jewish people. For those reasons, the Fokados slave wharf should be listed as a United Nations World Heritage Site. Focados is where Nigeria began. Fokados was the 15th century's administrative capital of the geographical area we now call Nigeria. Fokados was the Abuja of the 15th century Nigeria. My older sister, Onyare Florence, was born in Fokados in 1958. The nine children of my mother had university education and became Nigerian-Americans. The first school in land was founded on November 15, 1858. That school was a short stroll from the birthplace of my father and great-grandfathers and was also located a short stroll from the present location of General Hospital, Onicha. That was the first hospital in land. In 1857, that general hospital wasn't built. My great-grandfather, whose first name was Emma Aguale, was born and raised where the general hospital is now located. 40 years later and at the end of the 19th century, the British colonial administrators decided to build the present general hospital of our nature citing eminent domain law that gives the government the power to take over any land and convert it to public use, the Emma Agwale family was ordered to move and relocate a walking distance away to 17 bar Road, Onicha. Our proximity to that first school in land gave us several generations of Nde an unfair educational advantage over heartland Igbo-speaking people. Being among the first Nigerians to learn how to read and write meant that Ndi Onicha emigrated earliest and did so from Igbo land to the farthest regions of Nigeria. That was the reason Namdi Azikiwe, the first president of Nigeria, whose parents were born in Onicha was born in 1904 in Zungiru, the capital of the British Protectorate of Northern Nigeria. It was the reason my grand-uncles emigrated from Onicha to Faraway Kanu to work as clerks, and why my father emigrated from Onicha to Kanu in 1948 and to Akure in 1950. Papa was trained and employed in General Hospital, Akure, as a 29-year-old junior staff nurse. By age 9, I had lived at a dozen Nigerian addresses in seven towns. The first was at 11 Ekemeso Street, Akure, Western Region, Colonial Nigeria. My father was employed as a nurse in the General Hospital of Akure, and from 1950, to early 1956. From the General Hospital, Akure, Papa was transferred to Central Hospital, Sapele, Western Region. At first we lived in the house headquarters of Sapele in 1956. That was where my immediate younger brother, Ndu Agoba Francis, was born in May 1956. In early 1958, my father was transferred from the General Hospital Sapele on what was called a six-month relief duty to the coastal towns of Burutu and forcados. My family of five spent most of the year, 1958, in the latter two towns. In April 1958, we left Burutu to come back to Onicha to attend the funeral of my maternal grandfather, Cheka Balongu. Cheka was a farmer who lived his entire life at 6C Wilkinson Road, Nietzsche? Cheka died after a long period of protracted illness that was related to diabetes. A group portrait in our family photo album, taken in April 1958, had my then 19-year-old mother, who was expecting her expecting her third child. Sitting beside her, we are three. Female friends from our nature. All four women were elegantly dressed but sat on a beautiful mat that was placed on the wooden stairways of our house in Burutu. The four women were Inyama Agata Emma Agwale, Mabel Ifejika, Clara Chude, and Modupe. We lived in Burutu for six months from early to mid-1958. As a three-year-old, I remember living in Burutu, in that one-story wooden house that was built upon support stilts. Our house was elevated to protect us from daily tidal floods and occasional storms. We lived in Focados for six months, from mid to late 1958. We lived in the nurses' waters of the General Hospital Focados. That was a short stroll from the community's post office. My sister, Onyare Florence, was born in 1958 in the General Hospital, Focados. And my sister, Chingwe Edith, was born in 1960 in the Central Hospital, Stapele. After my father returned from his six-month relief duty in Focados, we lived in the compound that was next to the Eagle Club. Yoruba Road, Sapele, we lived besides the Ego Club from early 1959 to late April 1962. The Ego Club was established by actor Edward Prest, who later became the Nigerian ambassador to the United Kingdom. The Ego Club was sold in the early 1940s to a Lebanese. The manager of the Ego Club was Dixon McGray, The resident musician was Sally Young. The Ego Club was the dancing place in Sapele. When we hear the visiting musicians rehearsing, I and other children will sneak inside the Ego Club and enjoy a free live rehearsal concert. I enjoyed Victor Laia rehearsing his hit song, Aigana, and enjoyed Hobart Hobart Udemba and his African Baby Vocal Party, rehearsing their hit song, Bottom Bele, that went like this. Bon ayo ayo. azi ayo ayo. As a four year old, I played along the dusty Yoruba road and in front of the Eagle Club. And I remember first to Soko Tiobo, a man of means and the most flamboyant politician in Nigeria in his Shafua driven limo car, long driven long limo. limo, To draw the attention of us children carelessly playing on Yoruba Road, Okotiebo's Shafua blasted his car's loud signature horn. By the mid 1960s, the Ego Club was demolished and Okotiebo bought a portion of the land it was built upon. Okotiebo built his Orogun Villa on that land, which is now 149 Yoruba Road, Sapele. In 1959, some of the band members at the Ego Club will give me a penny to buy two sticks of cigarettes for them and bring back their change of half a penny. That was the purchasing power of a penny between early 1959 and April 1962 from late April 1962 to November 1963 we lived next to premier club and hotel uromi that was the town's prostitutes compound the most memorable event that occurred when we lived when, when we lived when we lived near premier club at abo was that the renowned boxer Dick Tiger defeated Jin Fuma on August 10, 1963, in Liberty Stadium, Ibadan, Nigeria? Tiger defeated Fuma to retain his world middleweight boxing title. The Premier Club was downstairs of a two story building that was owned by an Igbo man named Oba. The Premier Club was the dancing place in the Urobi. Of the early 1960s, from our adjacent compound, we hear the visiting musicians rehearsing. I and other children will immediately sneak inside the premier club and enjoy the free life rehearsal concert. I enjoyed Zil Onya rehearsing his hit songs, vicky Nyama Afun" and "Opigwe." In a concert at the Premier Club of 1963, Emmanuel Ntia and his Eastern Stars Dance Band of Nigeria rocked its dance hall with their ex rated number one highlife hit song called Call Chop. Like other Igbo children in Urobi of 1962, we learned the sensational Eastern acrobatic cultural dance of the spirits from, midnight, from mid-December 1963 to late 1966, we lived along Benobar Road, Abo, Midwest region, Nigeria, and in a three-bedroom house about a block downhill and on the left from the house of Gerati Marere, the first governor of the Midwest region of Nigeria. My elementary school education Consisted of two years at St. Patrick's Primary School, Sapele, two years at St. Anthony's Primary School, Urumi, and two years at St. John's Primary School, Abo. The names of the first two schools have changed. The St. Patrick's Primary School, Sapele, that I attended, shared premises with the town's then-only Catholic church. The St. Anthony's primary school that I attended was across the street from the town's then only Catholic church. I enrolled in classes three and four at St. Anthony's from late April 1962 to mid-December 1963. After earning my first school living certificate in December 1965, Following two years at St. John's Primary School, Abo, Midwest Region, Nigeria, I enrolled for 15 months at St. George's College, Obinomba, Midwest Region, Nigeria. Like, 90%, like 99% of the children in Biafra, I dropped out of school for three years. During ages 12 to 15, I dropped out to live in refugee camps of Biafra of the Nigerian Civil War, but I also dropped out again for two years from Christ the King College on Nature in March 1972, and after the Civil War was over. One in 15 Biafrans died during that 30 month long war. In the list of the genocidal crimes of the 20th century, Committed against humanity, the death of one in 15 Biafrans was ranked fifth. I am the subject of school essays on computer inventors because I was in the news and because I contributed to the development of the world's fastest computers. Specifically, I discovered how to compress the time to solution of the most compute-intensive scientific problems described as the 20 hardest problems that can be solved on extremely fast supercomputers. Likewise, I'm the subject of school essays on physicists and their discoveries because I was in the news for discovering how to compress the time to solution of the most compute-intensive problems arising from encoding the laws of physics and encoding those laws into the partial differential equation of calculus. Likewise, I am in school essays on mathematicians and their contributions to mathematics because I was in the news for mathematically discovering how to reduce an initial boundary value problem of calculus defined in its interior domain by a, by a system of coupled nonlinear time dependent and three dimensional partial differential equations. I discretize those equations to reduce them to a large scale system of equations of computational linear algebra. That approximated the governing initial boundary value problem. I'm in school essays of mathematicians who contributed to mathematics because I was in the news for mathematically discovering how to solve those algebraic equations and solve them to foresee otherwise unforeseeable global warming and solve them to recover otherwise unrecoverable crude oil and natural gas buried up to 7.7 miles or 12.4 kilometers deep. I am in school essays on physicists who contributed to physics because I was in the news for experimentally discovering how to make the most compute-intensive problems in physics and that are impossible to solve, possible to solve. I'm in school essays on scientists and their discoveries because I was in the news for discovering how to solve the most challenging problems in science called grand challenges and how to solve them across the slowest processes in the world and solve them at the fastest possible speeds in the world. Once upon a time, before the 4th of July, 1989, to be exact, the fastest 1000 computers in the world, computed with only one custom manufactured and super fast vector processor. Before the 4th of July, 1989, Parallel supercomputing or attaining the fastest speeds across the slowest processors was mocked and ridiculed as science fiction and was dismissed as a beautiful theory that required experimental confirmation. On the 4th of July 1989, and in Los Alamos, New Mexico, USA, I confirmed parallel supercomputing to be faster than the fastest sequential supercomputing. That contribution to computer science is the reason I won an award in 1989 that is referred to as the Nobel Prize of Supercomputing. My milestone in the history of the computer was marked as the first time the fastest speed in supercomputing was recorded across the slowest processors in the world. A year later, on June 20, 1990, the Wall Street Journal and other media wrote that Philip Emma has experimentally discovered that parallel processing many problems at once instead of sequentially processing. One problem at a time should be the starting point of the next generation of supercomputers. 1989 was the year that I discovered how to parallel process across a spherical island of identical and coupled processors that shared nothing. My new technology was a new internet in reality, and not a computer by its very nature. 1990 was the year the supercomputing industry upgraded parallel processing from a theory to a discovery, and from science fiction novels to non-fiction computer science textbooks. I was in the news because I discovered a quantum shift or a significant change in the way we look at both the computer and the supercomputer. After the 4th of July 1989, the fastest 1000 computers in the world were computing in parallel and communicating across up to 10,649,600 processors. We now have a more profound and surer understanding of why and how the world's fastest computer parallel processes. Massively parallel processing was the stone that was rejected as rough and unsightly, but that became the headstone of the supercomputer industry According to the guiding lights of the world of computing of the 1970s and 80s, namely Gene Amdahl of the IBM world of mainframe computing of the 1960s, Seymour Cray of the world of vector computing of the 1980s, and Steve Jobs of the world of personal computing of of the 1990s. And according to these three giants, it would forever remain impossible to use eight or more processors to achieve a speed-up of eightfold. In the spirit of the 1970s and 80s, the June 14, 1976 issue of the Computer World magazine carried an article titled, quote, Research in Parallel Processing, Questioned as Waste of Time. 14 years after that article, the June 1990 issue of the Siam News, the flagship bi monthly news journal of mathematicians, carried a cover story that described how Philip Emmanuel mathematically and experimentally discovered how to save time by parallel supercomputing through 64 binary thousand processors. And the June 20, 1990 issue of the Wall Street Journal and several newspapers and magazines carried a story that reported that Philip Emma Aguale discovered that parallel supercomputing is not an enormous waste of everybody's time. I contributed to the newer understanding of the supercomputer and my discovery changed the way we think of the supercomputer. In the bygone way of thinking, the supercomputer solved one problem at a time. In the contemporary way of thinking, the supercomputer solves many problems at once. My scientific discovery of the world's fastest computing across the world's slowest processors became computing's defining moment and the bedrock of the supercomputer. That scientific discovery of parallel supercomputing made the new headlines because I invented the fastest computer and invented the supercomputer technology across the slowest 65,536 processors in the world. On a relative scale, the speed increase I discovered in 1989 was 3,000 times greater than the speed advantage the commercial aircraft has over the bicycle. The fastest supercomputer of today is 100 million times faster than the fastest supercomputer of 30 years ago. In 1989, it made the news headlines that I discovered how a large-scale computational physicist can compress her time to solution from 180 computing years to one supercomputing day. My scientific discovery opened the door to the state-of-the-art supercomputers used to compress time to solution from 30,000 years on a computer to one day on a supercomputer. Between April 18 to 20, 1967, an IBM supercomputer scientist named Gene Amdahl wrote it would forever be impossible to compress time to solution from eight days to one day and do so by parallel supercomputing the most compute-intensive problems in the world. That pessimistic assertion, that originated between April 18 to 20, 1967, and from the Spring Joint Computer Conference in Atlantic City, New Jersey, entered every supercomputer textbook to become the famed Amdahl's Law. That Amdahl's Law is to supercomputing across Plural processors. What must law is to compute you within a singular processor. On the date Ambar's law was invented, I was fleeing as a 12-year-old refugee, fleeing from Abo, Nigeria, and fleeing to Onicha Biafra. Onicha was my ancestral hometown. In the following 30 months, Onicha became the bloodiest battlefield in African warfare. During that Nigerian Civil War, one in 15 girlfriends died. 22 years after AMDA's law was published, I discovered that the unimaginable to compute is possible to supercompute. I discovered how to exceed the 8th processor so factor of 8 speed up limit, known as AMDA's law. And how to use 64 binary thousand processors to solve the most compute intensive problems in the world. My scientific discovery of the fastest computing made the new satellites as the biggest fundamental change in computer science. My scientific discovery opened the door to a revolution, namely computers and supercomputers that could solve many problems at once. The scientific discovery that I recorded during my email experiments of July 4, 1989, provided the designers of the supercomputer with the insight that massively parallel processing is useful. My new insight change the way the first supercomputer that computes across fastest across the slowest processors. the super look the supercomputer of the 1980s and earlier was the size of your refrigerator the supercomputer of today occupies the space of a soccer field consumes as much electricity as a small American town and costs as much as the budget of a small African nation. That change in the way the supercomputer looks and costs is my contribution to computer science. In 1989, I was in the news for discovering that the slowest processors could be used to solve the biggest problems and find their answers at the fastest speeds the fastest computer is why you know the weather before going outside from an early age in nigeria i studied the contributions of the great minds of science i learned that euclid is the father of geometry later i learned that albert einstein is the father of modern physics Becoming a father of a then unknown technology wasn't something I could have imagined during the the ages 12 to 15. In that period, I dropped out of school to live in refugee camps of Biafra, created by the Nigerian Civil War. For three years following May 1967, all schools in Biafra were closed and one in 15 Biafrans died during that 30-month-long war that ended on January 15, 1970. In the list of the worst genocidal crimes of the 20th century committed against humanity, the death of one in 15 Biafrans was ranked fifth. The quintessential questions of supercomputing, we are these. How do we compute faster? How do we do so by a billion fold? And what makes the supercomputer super? My contribution to supercomputing is this. I discovered how to compress the time to solution of the most compute-intensive problems. Once upon a time, before the 4th of July, 1989, to be exact, the fastest 1,000 supercomputers in the world computed with only one custom-manufactured superfast vector processor. Before the 4th of July, 1989, Parallel supercomputing was mocked and ridiculed as a beautiful theory that lacked experimental confirmation. On the 4th of July, 1989, in Los Alamos, New Mexico, USA, I discovered practical parallel supercomputing and discovered the technology by harnessing the slowest processors in the world and using them to solve the most compute-intensive problems in the world and solve those problems at the fastest speeds in the world. That invention was newsworthy because I discovered a paradigm shift of tectonic proportions that was a huge change in the way we look at the computer and the supercomputer. Parallel supercomputing was the stone rejected as rough and unsightly, but that became the, mile, the milestone and the headstone of the supercomputer industry. I was in the news because I contributed to the understanding of the world's fastest computers. My discovery changed the way we think of the supercomputer. In the customary way of computing, the supercomputer solved one problem at a time. In my new way of computing, the supercomputer solves up to a billion problems at once. My scientific discovery of parallel supercomputing became computing's defining moment and the bedrock of the supercomputer. My scientific discovery opened the door to a revolution, namely, Computers and supercomputers that could solve many problems at once This discovery is my contribution to the supercomputer as it's known today that could become the computer of tomorrow Massively parallel computing is the vital technology That enabled the supercomputer to tower over the computer. That's not parallel processing. Thank you I'm Philippe Emma Thank you. Thank you. Insightful and brilliant lecture.